Hi, my name is Anna Soper, and this is Teen People. This podcast features in-depth conversations with people who appeared in Teen People magazine as young adults. So far, they've shared stories of building their careers, having kids or not, and finding their way through this challenging time. My next guest is Diana Massiev. She worked at Teen People in the late 90s and early 2000s, starting with an internship, and has since built a career as a creative director. Diana has worked for Guess Inc. and Lucky Brand. She has overseen brand collaborations with Barbie, Baby Fat, and 7-Eleven. When I spoke with her in August, she was based at Forever 21, but has since moved into a new role at beauty subscription service Ipsy. Like this podcast, perhaps, the fashion and beauty industries might seem frivolous on the surface, but those industries connect with so many relevant topics, from labor standards and fair wages to the ways in which pop culture shapes our body image and self-esteem from an early age. In our interview, Diana reflected on the effects of racism and unconscious bias in her industry. She also told me about her really awesome job, and if you are a creative director in training, I would consider this episode as like a little masterclass. I began by showing Diana a photo from Teen People's October 1999 issue, showing her and a few other interns at Teen People's Manhattan headquarters. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good. So good to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you for taking the time. This is so fun. What a like blast from the past. I know this picture because it's on my mother's refrigerator. And I always, when I go home for Christmas, I'm always like eating an apple and I look at it. I'm like, look (laughs) at me. Oh my God. Look at me. So here. Yes. Yes. Wow. What a fun memory. Yes. I recognize those faces. Mm -hmm. Are you still in touch with any of them? No, I wish I was. The girl in front of me, I know she wanted to be a lawyer. And then the girl with her shoulder on me. I think I saw her online a couple years ago. She looked like she was maybe, you know, settled, married. Oh, wow. Those, those two were the closest to me. I, don't, I, I mean, I think I, we maybe ate lunch with some of the other ones, but we were the fashion, we were the fashion girls. I, I feel really blessed that... Um, I've been able to be a creative all my life. Even when I was at Teen People as an intern, I took a, a path as a graphic designer and that led me into art direction and creative direction. And, and that's where I'm at now. Um, I'm 20 years deep now into being a designer and a, and a creative director. And was Teen People your start? I would say my team people was a really great entryway for me. And this is why I continue to always advocate for, um, for internships. The team people was a great way for me to see worlds I didn't know about before. I got that gig at team people as part of a program at my school, San Francisco state university that was trying to had linked up with time Inc and was trying to get more, um, students of color, to be part of uh, timing. And, and we were all part of the journalism program. That was part of, of my major. Although now that I look at that picture, I'm like, it wasn't that diverse, was it? <laughs> I think it was a professor of mine that even thought of me and said, you should do this. I wouldn't have even found it on my own. It's such a different time. Like the internet just wasn't even like 
we weren't online, like Googling things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I don't even think there was Google yet. So there was, it was just like a different kind of time where, where we resource things different. I think I was, if I was looking for things to help me out in school, it was like grants and I'd go to the library and look up books about grants and then I'd, you know, snail mail everything out. Yeah. Um, so things were changing quickly because of, of online. And um, but this was a professor that said, I really think you should do this. So I applied and I think there was probably close to 50 interns that went to Time Inc. Um, some went to InStyle, some went to Team People, some went to, I'm trying to think of some of their more like newsy books that they had at the time. Uh, Newsweek, something like that, right? There was even financial um, books that people wanted to. I got in there and I definitely have like a work uh, disease where I have to be working really hard all the time. <laughs> um, so I just like went in there and, and acted like I was already part of the staff um, <laughs> and made myself completely available to them and was never still. And that led to the staff, the fashion staff there really taking notice and eventually hiring me on to do lots of other projects. A lot of them were doing um, freelance styling for Britney. Um, this was the era of like the Tommy Hilfiger um, sponsoring Britney, um, Christina Aguilera, Aaliyah. They would bring me on as a, sort of like a freelance styling assistant um, to work on those projects even though there were other students in the styling program, I was called on a lot to like actually go on set and go, go on these shoots on those shoots is where I fully discovered all of these other roles, like beyond photography. Um, I got to meet people in PR. I got to meet uh, other stylists, makeup artists. I started to see all of the players. Um, and I'm really thankful that I got that opportunity because it made me, really um it helped normalize set life for me and that really helped me later on in my career because one of the things about being a creative director or going on a on doing a campaign shoot is feeling um calm and cool and collected on set and not overwhelmed by because it's exciting your very first time on set it can be very exciting and overwhelming and you can lose focus um, so I owe all of those hours to team people. It really helped normalize what a set was, understanding kind of the hierarchy on set and who did what. That, that's like learning I could have never done at, even at the university level. And then when I came back, I, I moved to L.A., um, but the people from team people stayed in touch with me and would hire me here in L.A. Uh, to do more styling work. Mm, and the magazine wasn't very long lived in the end it folded in 2006. So how did you feel when, when it came to an end? Oh, wow. I wasn't, I, I think I, by that point I was pretty deep into my career. So I wasn't that connected to the magazine anymore. I was more worried about my friends there. Um, people that I had worked with. I, I really thought it felt like the end of, of print. And so I, I was just worried for them, like, what will they do? How will they move on? Um, there's some people I never heard of again, and, and I hope they're doing well. Um, but I know that that team people dying was sort of symptomatic of us going fully digital. You know, what makes digital so exciting is it can completely reshape, reform, uh, 
it's exciting to think that that there's ideas we haven't even thought of of how we use uh, or how we integrate digital into our life. Um, things I would have never thought of. I, who would have thought of TikTok uh, and and the, and how prevalent it is? Um, so I think it's just going to keep. I think digital will forever keep shifting and changing as technology changes, and that's yeah. a good thing. I guess we all have to be super nimble yes. and open and 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 um, and ready to change. What's going to reveal itself? I think after COVID is who are the companies? Who are the brands that? were quickest to shift. I think a lot of companies are learning really quickly that they're going to have savings and maybe a huge building that they had before and taking that those funds and actually be creating like maybe a deeper workforce or a more, and, th- and now they can hire like amazing designers from like Hamburg that they couldn't relocate to LA before. Maybe that's one of the things that drew me to graphic design as a female I think being a designer and getting to just have a laptop with you is really freeing as a woman and you can have babies while you're working and you can be at home. Like it's a very, it's a very female friendly career path that I think that we're going to see there are certain industries that are going to thrive more. I think beauty is going to be a winner this year um, compared to like fashion retail. Because beauty is is something we spend a lot of time doing inside our own homes. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and proof, right? Yeah, we've had a lot of that time in the last few months. Yeah. How are you doing right now? Good. Um, I'm actually great. I I feel like I've been really creative. Um, it's sort of sometimes when your toolbox gets. Con- gets a little constrained and you don't have the same things available to you, there's like more opening up of, okay, well, we can't do it that way. I'm sort of stubborn like that. It's like, if that, if I can't do it the way I normally did it, then let's find another way. And I've had some really fun, successful photo shoots recently that are socially distanced. Um, I think that's starting to loosen up a little bit, like a I will be heading into more and more photo shoots, which makes me a little nervous. I'm a mom, I have kids. I, I want to be as safe as possible. But um, but I think we're all just finding ways to, you know, mask up, glove up. Um, there's some sets that are doing testing, like rapid testing before shoots um, and trying to shoot outdoors too. Are your kids going back to school this fall? No. <laughs> Over my dead body. <laughs> I love the face you just made. That's marvelous. <laughs> no way. No way. Um, I First of all, I don't think they're going to even allow it. Um, they, they go to a private school uh, and they've already told us we're just going to continue with online learning, um, which is a tough pill to swallow when you pay tuition, but it's okay. Like, right. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I... I just can't imagine. I know how kids are and they're always like licking fingers and sharing snacks. And I, I just don't trust it. I feel again, super blessed because I can afford to have them here at home. I can work from home. Um, but there are some parents that need their children to go to school so that they can do their jobs. So I, I can't imagine, um, that feeling of being trapped like I need to support these people, but I can't go work because I'm taking care of these people. That's a really tough position to be in. How old are your children? 
they're getting older. I have a one that's actually going to be 13 Ooh. in Denver. I know he's going to be a teen people. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's going to be a teen in November. And then I have another one that's going to be um, 10 in December. It's a big year in the house. Yes, that's true. Yes, you've got one that's going to be double digits and another that's right. going to be a teenager. I can't believe it. <laughs> they were just born. <laughs> What's an average workday look like for you? I say average in air quotes because I'm sure there's no average workday for someone in your shoes. Yeah. An average workday for me starts pretty early with photographers sending me texts of um, beauty tests. So we have a a lot of studios at Forever 21 headquarters um, where we shoot all of the e-commerce photography. I'm sort of telling you right now pre-COVID because everything shifted in COVID. Mm. But pre-COVID begins with texts in the morning uh, with beauty tests, just making sure that I'm okay with the hair and makeup looks that we've done on the girls um, or the guys. Usually we leave that direction the night before, but we're just checking to see if that direction we left works with our lighting scheme. And that's usually just a quick, yep, good to go. Or can we make her brows a little bushier? Or I don't like her hair that tight. Can we pull it down? That sort of thing. Um, once I get in, there's quite a few meetings. Meetings with stakeholders, um, management, just um, business recaps, things like that. What are some things we can do online to sort of help the business in any way that we can? And then I do. I also manage all of the graphic designers. So we check in with them just to make sure that they have a hot sheet of what they need to deliver um, so that we can get the updates on the site and, and emails. Um, and so those are going, those are sort of like incoming to me and I'm checking them just to make sure that they look right. Um, sometimes everything, proofing from spelling to just making sure that everything's pixel perfect and correct, that they use the right images or the images retouched. Do I like the color of the type that they use? Do I like the way the copy is reading on the image? That sort of thing, giving approvals. The rest of the time is, is mostly planning, creative planning. If we have photo shoots coming up, checking in on the progress of that. How's the styling coming along? Um, I might need to develop a, a better mood board or I might need to develop a, what I call a shot list, a, a visual shot list of how the, the shoot will run, sort of like a run of day. I, I like to get as detailed as possible from the order that we're shooting in to who the model is, um, to what she's wearing uh, and the lo possible location. So all of that planning um, happens for many shoots sometimes at once, locations, casting, um, styling, who the photographer will be, will there be video involved? What does that video content going to look like? So there's a lot of creative planning in my job. We also do a lot of collaborations, which are actually my favorite thing that I do at Forever 21. So this is when we bring in another brand like Cheetos or um, Barbie or Baby Fat and we uh, do a collaboration with them, usually an apparel collaboration. And those take a little bit longer to plan because now you have another brand at stake and they have their critical guidelines of how things need to look and how we can use their logo and, and things like that. And a lot of them, they're big brands, so they tend to be conservative. They tend to be um, very protective. So we have to like thoroughly vet every single part of the shoot. Um, I find them really, really fun. And maybe because it's funny, the tie back to teen people there would be 
every collaboration that does really well for us is from the 90s. It's like a 90s throwback. And I'm like, I'm the professional. <laughs> this is my era. I know everything about it. And when we did Baby Fat, it was like such a great full circle moment. I feel like every collaboration we do has sort of like the 90s baby girl vibe to it. And, and that, that's really my wheelhouse. So I, I feel good when I get to work on those. I pull from music, from, um, from film, from all, all, all sorts of places. I, I think what makes somebody a good creative director is when they have really deep references. So for me, I, I need to make sure I'm on top of the news, that I'm on top of pop culture. I'm on, I'm on top of lots of different things. But, but my era where I came up in the 90s, that was, you know, sort of like my prime era growing up is definitely something that I did. It's like, it's, it's so close that I can just pull from that. And it just so happens that it's uh, seeing such a resurgence of popularity. So it, it's a sort of a nice moment to be in right now. I'm quite liking this 90s throwback right now. Um, there's something kind of reassuring about it. And yeah. there's a lot about that look that's that's very, that's totally accessible um, and very current. Yeah. I think too, for me, um, the importance of, of like hip hop culture in the 90s is finally starting to sort of get, you know, uh, it's due credit. And so that also feels really good to me as a Latina. It's like, oh, the looks that we just automatically wore in our neighborhoods are finally being recognized as having an impact in fashion. And sure, there's a lot of sometimes feelings about like uh, people appropriating some of the things that we always wore uh, or finally accepting them as fashionable when maybe before they were deemed as ghetto. Um, there's a lot of feelings around that, but as a whole, it feels really good to sort of be recognized um, as aesthetically pleasing and as fashionable. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's a, that's a really nice part of it too. Because th these were fashion moments in the 90s that we didn't really think we were being fashionable. We were just being us, right? Like we were just wearing our jewelry and that our moms gave us or our grandmas gave us. And that it didn't feel like a, a contrived uh, choice. It just was us being us. And now it feels really good to, to see that sort of um, being celebrated for, for something really beautiful. Does it make you feel a bit homesick for that time working with 20 year old models wearing looks that you wore back then? Hmm. No, I think because the nice thing about getting older is that you just feel good in your skin. And so I'm like, I don't want to go back to all the craziness from being 20. <laughs> or now when I see a 20 year old girl, I'm like, oh baby, you have so much more to go. <laughs> what advice would you give to your 20 year old self if you could talk to her? Mm. Uh, be bolder, be more confident. There were moments I just didn't speak up because I didn't know how to. Uh, that didn't come to me until a little bit later. Uh, I was always a hard worker, but I didn't always speak my opinion. And, and, you know, it's like everybody has a different journey. Maybe that's the way it was meant to be for me, that I, I was quiet at first and just sort of like taking it all in. I was being a, stu a good student for sure. 
um, I think also maybe being that humble helped me move further ahead, um, not coming in and just sort of pretending I knew what, what I was doing. How did you learn to be bolder? I think I really do think it just comes with hours of practice of um, there's also like lots of moments along the way in a career where so funny uh, in one of my positions, I can remember very clearly, I was creative director at guest jeans, very intense job, very, very intense job. I would say one of the most intense jobs I've had in my life, lots of travel, lots of different types of people navigating, really being a leader at a pretty young age. Um, so there was a lot of like faking it till you make it in that job. Um, I, I had finally had enough. I, I really felt like I was almost going to have a nervous breakdown over how intense the job was. And I gave notice. I gave them, I think, three weeks notice. In those last three weeks, I bossed up to a level I had never done before because I was trying to sort of, you know, put a bow on it and make sure everything was good. And I was like, you know, being way more direct with people than I had ever been and put, really putting my foot down on deadlines. Like I got, I got to, it's like, I got three weeks. We got to do this. Like I just needed to make sure everything was left in a nice place. And I remember literally saying to myself, like a week into that three week thing saying, you should have been like this the whole time. Why, why weren't you like this the whole time? And it's those sort of like, ends of career, ends of moments, ends of jobs that lead you to that kind of insight and that I take into my next job. Uh, every job I've had, I, I end, I learn, I re-up and I go on to the next one. What's the yeah. best job you've ever had? Uh, you know what? They've all been so great, even when they've sucked. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just going to say, I, it, I mean, in some ways, Forever 21 has been the greatest for me now because it's, they've really been so open to the kind of storytelling that I'm doing. Um, they were very frank with me that they sort of, when they met me, that they liked some of the work I was doing outside of my regular work, which is in the mentorship space. A friend and I have uh, a small project that we do called Yellow, where we help fund emerging Latina artists in whatever their genre of art is. We basically give them their first paying gig um, and sort of teach them about how to read creative contracts and uh, what are fair rates they should be charging, just to kind of give them their first professional experience. And we act as their client. And we're a popsicle company, by the way. So it's, it's, it's just sort of like the popsicles are there to kind of just fund this crazy idea. Um, that, it's funny that after all my, my portfolio of work, Forever 21 really actually was looking at that, even though that was just like my side passion project. But what they liked about that and, and very smart because Forever 21, their biggest customer base is black and brown girls. Um, they looked at me and said, we want that. We, we want you to tell those kinds of stories. And so I've been really proud of the amount of diversity that I've brought to Forever 21. All these collaborations that I told you about, we've been able to build in um, sort of 
you know, some sort of a charity, charitable element, the casting, everything. I feel like uh, even our crews have been really super diverse. And that makes me really proud. In the job that I had before at Lucky Brand, I was the creative director. I had a really great time, but they were really struggling with their existing customer base being mostly like a middle-aged white woman. And it was so hard to get the diversity piece in there. I really, really struggled with it. And, and that's ultimately what left me, led me to leave. I had a great five-year run there. I had really wonderful relationships there, but they're wanting, them wanting to be luxury sort of made it that I couldn't bring in diversity for some reason. Like that's what luxury looked like to them. Luxury looks like whiteness. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think they maybe worked some of those kinks out. I, I still have a really good feelings of them, although I think they just claim bankruptcy. See how everybody... Oops. <laughs> but Forever 21 has been the opposite. Like they want real plus size girls. They want this, the exact kind of stories that girls like want to tell. They want to see themselves. They're really going after Latinx and, and wanting to, to not just as a, as a good business decision, which it is, Latinos are the you know, fastest, quickest growing group in the United States. Um, and they like to shop. It, it's good business. But they also, they, they recognize that it's just the right thing to do. So. so when you say you were struggling in that other workplace to, uh, to make that case for diversity, you were being told by people senior to you, by money people, no, this won't sell. We yeah. have a formula that sells. Yeah, it was never like blatantly racist like this girl's too dark or any it wasn't anything like that it was like this reads really young this reads really urban that's not us um which I actually felt like the brand will die if it doesn't become more relevant and I felt that the brand had space to explore that and we in fact we one of my last shoots that we did there was so cute. It was called Totally Lucky. And I was able to bring in a, a Korean male model. I had uh, a black girl on set. We, we really had a really good time just running through the streets of downtown LA. It was a very loose format for Lucky Brand compared to what I had been doing with them before, which was very, one, very expensive, very expensive photographers that really only get you like eight to 10 photos on some of these shoots. Very, very expensive models. If I had a black girl, she was like very light. Uh, it just wasn't, it, I felt at that point, I felt like it's hurting my portfolio. Like at this point, you guys aren't helping me out either. And that, right. that's why I had to leave. Well, yeah. I mean, your brand was not in alignment with their brand. No. And I guess that's why I love uh when you ask me my favorite job is forever 21 has led to me kind of discovering my, my own brand. It was like the things that I think are really beautiful and the stories that I want to tell are actually, you know, viable in business as well. And that felt really good. It felt like I uncovered my, my own brand. Mm. Um, we've just done some, some really cool things. We had a terrible racial profiling incident in one of our stores uh, a group was racially profiled and accused of shoplifting in one of our Forever 21 stores. And 
we really turned it around. Um, and I've been working with that group really closely. We gave them their own collaboration. And through that, the kids designed everything from the apparel to the marketing. Um, so they've been, been mentored by us. Uh, I like to say we've been mentoring them, but they gave us like the greatest lesson of all because we were able to really go back and look at um, how customers are treated in stores and we're doing really, really big, meaningful change at the HR level on how we train people and we're addressing, um, you know, sort of like shopping while black head on, making sure that um, this doesn't happen again. That's actually a really brilliant way of letting those young people see themselves in your brand. I love it. They were already, they're already an incredible group. They're called Project Level from my hometown in San Francisco. That group exists to train these kids in the arts. They already have a natural inclination towards music, dance, graphics. They want to learn it all. Um, So to give them a whole collaboration and just sort of guide them kind of also show them, demystify it a little bit. Like there's people just like you at Forever 21 designing this kind of stuff. Uh, You don't need a PhD. You need a really good idea and you need follow through. Like there's steps to do this and there's deliverables and and this is how we do it. So I kind of gave them the the templates and they ran with it. That's another really good point. Uh, Even the kind of work that we're doing at, at Forever it's like diversity and inclusion, but are you even prepared? Are you even woke enough? Do you even have the tools that you need to really pull it off? Uh, it's not just, you know, um, filling quotas. It's a lot more. How have you been watching all of what's unfolded in the last couple of months in America with regards to racism? I mean, <laughs> it's, um, I'm sure like everybody else, it's it's exhausting and it's... Uh, it's a lot of checking in with yourself. I, I think there's there's a lot of times where it's just been, it hits you in waves. I can't imagine w- how exhausting it must be for a black person, you know. I'm, I'm telling you my story as a light-skinned Latina, the amount of privilege that I've had is unbelievable. I'm, I'm also like a very easy token for a lot of these companies, you know. So... I've been going through all that in my head too, just my own journey um, as a as a quote unquote minority and and the and the privilege I've been afforded compared to some of my other uh, Latino counterparts. I think also I thought one of my first thoughts uh, was about casting and how we'd been going through a lot of casting at Forever Twenty One and, and booking people and how I definitely. I think maybe wasn't casting aggressively enough. I kind of got complacent and just thought like, I might might not even want to rock the boat with bringing in this girl. And so I remember feeling frustrated, like, damn, I had to wait till somebody died for me to feel like I could say that I want this girl with, with like the really big Afro to be on e-com. Like, why didn't I even think that that was okay to bring her on? that I was looking for like more of a type. So that's ended. (laughs) Like the moment that happened, I was like, never again. Like we have to, we have to cast. And and what's so beautiful is like, it's not just impacting black people. Like that's what's so beautiful about that movement is that it's making me open up even more to just different body types, 
Um, and not even just like the ones that are represented by agencies. It doesn't have to be like your typical plus size girl either. I think we just need to see, we all need to see ourselves. Even just the recent events of George Floyd, that really spoke to me. Sort of, I feel like a little refocused now where uh, the kind of work that I do can still be aesthetically pleasing, creatively challenging, but maybe have some sort of social justice angle to it. And I think it's making all of us realize the kind of work that we do in, in fashion even has a really big impact on, on people's psyches and, and how they feel about themselves and the world at large. And, and if you're helping to actually frame that and, and compose that portrait of the world and you better be pretty responsible. Instagram really changed the game. The influencers are taking the, these pictures at home and then sending them into us. And by the way, we use those to replace the e-com pictures when we can. And they always outperform the e-commerce pictures. Girls just want to see this user-generated content. I have some really talented photographer friends who are masters at lighting their light benders it's like people don't want that work right now it's really sad yeah uh, or people aren't spending that kind of money on these elaborate sets they want real and and if you make it look like it's not real people sniff it out like that it's hard because if you look at instagram so many girls they have so much makeup on that you become accustomed to what that sh- that looks like and so when you you know, I can really see all my freckles and everything in real life. Uh, you, you have to like, just be confident in that. It's my, just me. It's my bare skin. Yeah. Um, but I feel lucky about that. Like I, I, I'm like, I feel lucky that I don't, I don't feel the pressure to like cover up. Because yet. there's so much pressure and Instagram is a huge part of that. I mean, there is a filter that puts freckles on your face. <laughs> there's a filter which changes your eye color which I tried and I looked like, like a bombshell. I looked amazing. And I felt, <laughs> I felt bad afterwards. I was like, oh, now I have to go back to my normal now eye I have. color. <laughs> yeah, that can really mess with your head. Yeah. Instagram really changed the way I do photography. I think I told you when you hire an expensive photographer and you get eight to 10 photos, mm. like we don't, who can do that? Yeah. Unless you're like a luxury, super ultra luxury brand. Like we need like, 40 photos out of a photo shoot, 30 photos out of a photo shoot, because the content beast is so hungry that I have to fill all of those slots from paid ads to organic to online uh, emails and and site updates. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the content ask is almost unbearable, if you ask me. (laughs) The other day when Instagram Reels launched, I was like, no. I I can't not another not <laughs> another thing, thing to learn. <laughs> yeah, I took a quick look at Instagram Reels, and I feel like it's basically just TikTok, but with a MySpace aesthetic. Totally agreed. <laughs> agreed. I I tried one. I was like, okay, I can. We can do this. <laughs> What's your creative philosophy? I don't know if I have one. A creative philosophy. I don't have one, should I? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Maybe you don't need one. I don't think I need one. <laughs> I feel like it's um 
it's definitely not a mantra of any sort. It's just a gut feeling. And there's really no way to explain that. My work is guided by what I like and what I think looks right. And I've been lucky enough that people have trusted me for that opinion and that people pay me for my opinion on what looks good. That's really what my job is, to be the person that makes a decision for a whole brand on what looks, that looks good. (laughs) I feel really lucky about that. You know, my mom forever has a hard time understanding what I do. Uh, anytime I take a job, she's like, well, what do you do? Uh, but one day she just kind of broke it down to bat and I, it gave me so much clarity. She, she said in her, in her cute accent, like, uh, oh, so people pay you just to, to tell them what looks good. And I said, yeah, that's, that's my job. <laughs> that's such a sweet job. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a sweet job. Uh, it is. I mean, it's definitely... Uh, it's definitely high stress and you have to manage a lot of projects at once. Mm. And, and sometimes things get political because people might not agree with you on your aesthetic. Uh, it, it, it's a lot to navigate. Um, but if you're a hard worker and, and you're confident, I think you can have a good run at it. Mm. What you were describing earlier sounds like it needs a lot of uh, self-discipline, organization, time management, um, and uh, multitasking. Yeah, multitasking for sure. Those other things I don't pretend to be super good at, but I have really great, really great support. And at any good creative organization, you're going to have a great project manager. You're going to have a great um, producer. Um, and my job is to constantly be checking in with them. So really, my job is more about great communication. Mm, yes. Making or do does everybody on this team understand the vision that I have? And if I have to create more mood boards and if I have to talk them through it one more time, if I have to show them more examples, then let's do that. Because I don't want every anybody to go into a job going, what does she want? Does she want it more like modern or more vintage? Like, I don't want any questions like that. Mm. Like, I, I need to make sure that my vision is completely explained uh, my vision on what it looks like and my vision on how the job will run to the producer and um, my vision on the timing to the project manager. And then all of those things eventually come together. Do you make physical mood boards or do you use Pinterest for your shoots? Not Pinterest. I, it's funny. My biggest, my biggest tool is Google Slides. <laughs> I use Google Slides a lot. I used to do a lot of printing I definitely am not doing any printing now because I don't have a fancy printer at my house um, the way I did at the office. So I use Google Slides a lot, a lot, not only for the web team to know sort of the roadmap of what I'm thinking each asset, each update will look like color wise. Um, I put swipe in there for them to see examples of banners that I've seen that I like. Um, But for my photo shoots, I use pretty much Google Slides. When I go on set, I might print that slide book out. Um, I used to really spend a lot of time creating decks that were really beautiful for my shoots. And then I realized uh, I'm wasting time. It's not a good use of my time. You can do something in Google Slides. It won't be perfect. Of course, I try and make it as visually organized as possible. It won't have the fancy fonts that I would maybe have available to me in InDesign. But it's, it's good. It's totally works. And I've shaved off a lot of time sort of like uh, 
you know, romancing a slide. <laughs> yeah. Romancing a slide. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. I can go off and just try and make a deck look gorgeous. And then I'm like, I just wasted an hour and a half. Right now, we're seeing such a surge in DIY culture. During mm-hmm. the pandemic, people have been baking their own bread. They've been making masks. Yes. And we've seen some online moments like the Met Gala at home and the Museum mm-hmm. Challenge and the Vogue Cover Challenge. Uh, so we're seeing a, a culture of creativity right now that's, mm-hmm. that's so democratized. How can anyone become more creative? Hmm. It's so crazy because it just, it's always comes so natural to me, like to always be working on a project. Um, and maybe the, 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 um, the thing that people don't realize, realize about being creative is that it does come sort of with some guardrails on it. And to give yourself a little bit of like a goal, like to say, today I'm going to write three pages or today I'm going to do this project or for the next six days, I'm going to show up and do that. I think having sort of accountability and a little bit of a structure can actually really help you be a lot more creative, at least for me. Um, Even if it's like for me personally, like I've been cooking now more than I've ever cooked before. And there was sort of like a, in my head, I I thought to myself, you know, uh, for the next three days, I'm going to attempt to, to do like an amazing salad every night, or I'm going to attempt to cook a meat I had never touched before. I'm like, I have like weird things about cooking meat, but, (laughs) um, but just to kind of give yourself a challenge like that is the flip side of creativity. Cause I think sometimes people think being creative is just like, ah, paint brushes out everywhere. And it's not like that necessarily. I think it's, it's good to give yourself a little bit of a, of a challenge and and some rules. Maybe that's why people have been gravitating towards these creative expressions right now, because a lot of us are seeking structure that we've lost. Right. And we know implicitly there is structure in in any creative process as you just described. Yeah, I think it's true. Maybe it's like you'd have to prep to do your your, uh, sourdough bread or whatever. (laughs) Totally. What inspires you creatively? Let's go back to the 90s because <laughs> I definitely have a spot in my heart for those artists of the Mary J. Blige's of the world, the Aaliyah's of the world, SWV. Um, but also the, the tradition that they opened up for all of, there's so many new artists now um, that, you know, even like somebody like Solange or I think like uh, there's so I definitely lean towards R&B um, and rap, but I don't know. I, I I'm actually pretty open to most types of music, from Latin Latin music to um, even like you know older rock and roll. I find very inspiring. Mm. And music, not only just in song, but even old red carpet moments, I find very inspiring. I think that. I like the idea of how a music artist sort of creates an entire brand around themselves if it's done right. You know, if you take like, obviously somebody like Beyonce, yeah. she literally created like an entire aesthetic experience around herself as an artist. And to me, that's like the ultimate expression of art. What was your best celebrity encounter when you were acting people? Okay. 
I got to set the whole stage. We had a styling closet. Okay. The styling closet was huge. It was two rooms and it had racks and, uh, all of the designers would be sending us samples and we would help prep them. It was, a, by the way, when I got there, it was a complete mess. It was like clothes on the floor, everywhere. And I was like, oh no, like I couldn't, my OCD was like driving me nuts. And I had, I think there were maybe two other people doing that internship with me. I won't say their names, but there were two more. And they were like, oh, this room is crazy. But I was like, no, we're going to organize it and do all the racks. I like organized all the racks. I was sending back old samples, getting them ready and the stylist would come in and look at the racks to see what outfits they were going to be putting on the next celebrity client or whatever. And the, they said to us, um, you know, we're going to go do a shoot. It's local. It's just like maybe five to six blocks away. And we're going to put this rack together. And one of you is going to have to walk it to this location. And everybody was like, no way. And I was like, yes, me, please. <laughs> so they put the rack together for me. They wrapped everything up. I was like holding, holding this thing and had shoes underneath it. And I had to take it down in the elevator, those what, 50, 50 something floors down onto the street. I'm like, by the way, I'm not from New York. I'm pretty kind of lost at this point. Uh, I'm just like following, we didn't have phones, just following like a piece of paper. And I get to the hotel, I go in. I, I remember the other two girls just being like, you're crazy. Like you let them treat you like shit. Like all this stuff. I was like, I don't care. I'm going to go. I go in, I knock on the door and it gets opened up by little Kim. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay, like I'm here to see people. I'm here to do your She's like, come in. She was so cool. She ordered room service. We had burgers and fries together. <laughs> I laid out all the furs on the bed. She laid on the bed. I took a port of a Polaroid of her. I have it, by the way. I laid on the bed. She took a Polaroid of me. Oh my gosh. Her birth. It was hands down like one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> it goes to show how nothing should be beneath you. And I remember thinking, these girls are going to kill me <laughs> when I tell them what happened. Um, I had a, a blast. I had so many stories like that, but that one was so sweet. It was I loved little Kim. I loved little Kim for that, for her to open the door was like, oh my gosh. You were just the right person to go to it her was hotel room. So perfect. It was so <laughs> perfect. Wow. Yeah, there was a lot. There were so many great moments from Britney Spears to, uh, unfortunately, um, even though I'm so obsessed with her too. It was very sad, but I was able to work on the last shoot that Aaliyah ever did. So she passed away shortly after the Teen People shoot. Um, that was with Mark McGrath of all people. I got to hear her sing while she was in makeup chair, an incredible voice. Her team who also passed away with her 
in the accident was there. They were all, they all had such beautiful energy together and were clearly uh, great friends and, and loved each other a lot. Um, Mark McGrath was hysterical. I remember him, we made him go barefoot and he said, oh no, I don't want to take off my shoes. He said, I have Frito-Lays for nails. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I was like, excuse me, sir. Um, but it was, uh, it was a really fun shoot. It's so weird that they would match those two together. <laughs> yeah, they're a bit random, aren't they? But I guess he had like such a big run. Yeah, so this is actually part of the sexy list. Mm-hmm. Which I guess was Teen People's version of um, Sexiest People. Oh, okay. Is that Nelly Furtado? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Canadian Queen. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah we've got Mecky Pfeiffer, Nelly Furtado, Alicia Keys, and Gavin Rossdale. Yeah. And so here is a fold out mm-hmm. pinup of Aaliyah. Yes. Oh my God, I love her. She was so gorgeous. She was singing acapella, just Stevie Wonder while she was in her makeup chair. She was incredible. I fully remember my mom woke me up and said, I have bad news for you because she knew I loved her so much. We were all pretty lucky to get to work in such a free environment. We had, by the way, we had free food all the time. We had free lunch. Uh, At least on the fashion side, the styling team um, and the whole fashion crew would get lunch brought to them every day, which was so nice because I didn't have enough money. So I would like kind of hoard (laughs) my food or try and eat as much as I could at lunch so I didn't have to eat later. Mm -hmm. Um, There was always something going on in the office. Like they would call us into a room and they'd be like, there's a new person. She's a new artist. And she just wants to come in and sing for you guys. And like, I remember one time it was, it was pink. <laughs> she just started her career and we we're like, who's this? And like she started singing and we were like, oh my God, <laughs> like her voice is incredible. There was always like a moment every day there was something happening. Mm. There was always really cool free stuff just out on tables, like take free books or take, uh, free accessories that were left over from a photo shoot, things like that. Wow. It was really a, a fun space to be in. Mm. Super, super fun. So it was not the Devil Wears Prada then? Nah, I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, maybe at a, at a top level there was that, but I felt really, uh, I felt really comfortable there. I definitely remember thinking, I'm different than some of the girls here that have positions. Like they were uh, fashion writers and things like that. They were very like decked out in fashionable clothes. And uh, it's not that I didn't, I didn't dress um, style, you know, I wasn't stylish or anything like that. I just didn't have the money to buy like a Gucci bag or anything like that. And Mm. so um, I did the best that I could with what I had. And so I think in the fashion industry, there's always, especially if you're young and not strong enough, like I was at that time, I, I probably was like feeling a little nervous around those young women, you know, that they mm-hmm. seemed like they had it all, like 
they they had all the brands and the and the logo bags and all that stuff. And they had um, it all together. They seemed like they did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I yeah. Now I look back, I'm like, oh shit, those girls were only like 20 <laughs> years old. <laughs> yeah, they were probably terrified of being exposed every single day. <laughs> totally. And like, I remember now after I got to know some of them, like their parents were paying for their apartment. Like they were so set up. You know what I mean? I didn't. I was working full time, going to college. First person to go to college in my family. For me to go and do something like this was wild. Where did you live when you were in New York? I lived on campus at Columbia. I think our whole floor was interns. I shared with one girl. She was from the South and she was working. I remember she was working at like a news magazine because um, JFK Jr. passed away and she had to like leave the apartment really fast to go cover um, and go down to his apartment and cover that story. I did, I did a lot of things with other, there was other interns. I was like maybe a little bit older than some of them. Um, so I just worked, I, I mostly just worked a lot and, um, and got to know the city on my own. There was, I think there was also like some guys in the building that dealt with um, deliveries. Like they were delivery guys that worked for all of Time Inc. Mm-hmm. And they were really fun and they would always come to the teen people offices and talk to the interns and invite us out to do fun stuff. And they were like real New Yorker boys. And so we would like hook up with them and go, like they would take us to Harlem or take us to um, like a crazy nightclub or something like that. That was a really fun way to get to know New York. It's a fun time. Yeah, that must've been great. It was, it really was Mm -hmm. fun. It was so much fun. Yeah. I've only been to New York once, but I fell in love with New York and I can absolutely see how, how, what a gift it would have been to live there at that point in your life. I mean, really, really, really fun. I still love New York. Mm. Uh, We took our kids there uh, less than a year ago and they fell in love with it. And as little boys, thank God, thank God my children loved it. They had the best time. It's just such an incredible city. It is. It's its own own planet for sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, It's like brimming with possibility. There's such a like palpable energy on the street. There's also like just a lot of Spanish on the street and that feels really good. You know, like to hear a lot of people speaking Spanish feels really good. Um, so it hits me on like a couple different levels. What does your heritage mean to you? Are you a first generation American? I'm first generation. My mom is from Nicaragua and my dad's from Mexico. And it means so much to me. I, I think I've, I, I'm trying really hard to instill that in my children. I can't tell you how hard that is because they're fully American. Like uh, they, they both spoke Spanish when they were very little and then uh, it's been really hard to keep it up once they started school. It's like a constant battle. And so that when you ask me, what does it mean to me? It's like, I'm just like trying so hard to hold on to it and make sure that my kids get that too. As first generation, maybe we don't realize uh, when we're little, there's even shame around it, right? Like that's in the era, especially that I grew up in an era that really promoted assimilation and sort of like, you know, try and not try and be like a a model minority. Um, It was about almost like getting rid of your heritage and becoming American. Uh, Thank God my mom was very like adamant about Spanish because I'm fully bilingual. Um, 
and about our culture. My mom always spoke about Nicaragua with so much pride. Um, thank God. Because even though I, I think I wasn't like, I, I think in, when I was really little, I was like a little embarrassed about it. Um, and then I wasn't embarrassed, but I wasn't like loud about it. And then when I, by the time I got to college, I was like very loud about it. Um, and it became a source of power for me. Um, and it's a complex, it's a complex um, addition to a life, right? It's like, uh, it's something that you're always sort of living with, especially the United States. You're always like kind of living, working through it, navigating it seeing how it's impacted your life. It's something that you're always like kind of working through, but I can't imagine not having that. Like I, I can't imagine, I feel like my life would be so boring without that, that layer of experience. In terms of my children, it's hard because I'm realizing all of the things that I worked really hard to make sure that maybe that, cause I, I grew up um, in a pretty uh, poor neighborhood in San Francisco single mom didn't have much money growing up at all I worked so hard to not have any of that be part of their experience to the point where now we live in the burbs and I sometimes think damn I worked so hard to get us out to now they have like nothing really like they don't really have where we live it's not like I don't think that they would ever feel tied to this particular suburb <laughs> mm. or, or pride about this particular suburb, you know? Um, and so that's a struggle for me a little bit. Like I, I've maybe removed that. I, I try to like leave the area I was from and I left so much behind. Um, my mom still lives there. So I still feel really connected. I think if anything, actually, when we go home to visit, I think they're actually starting to feel a little bit of connection to where, what neighborhood I'm from, uh, which is a nice feeling. But I do feel like I've, I'm um, in a place right now with them where, and, and now, especially in COVID, where it's just us as a family unit, like they don't really have much of an, of an idea of an outside world or where they stand in relation to that. Mm. Um, so that's something I have to work on. And one of my ideas on how to work on that is gratitude, like teaching them and to be more charitable and going out and helping other people. I think that's like the only way I can really teach them something like that. And we've done things like that, like made homeless packs and stuff like that and dropped them off. And I see such a change in them after they've gifted somebody a bag even if it's a granola bar and a razor for shaving, they're just like, he looks so happy, mama. I'm like, yeah, he really needed help today. And you guys, you guys did that. And I think that that not only do they feel really good, we all know how helping makes us feel really good, but I think they come home and realize how blessed they are. And, and that's huge. Uh, my nine-year-old, I, I can't even fathom. I look at him and I think to myself, by the time I was nine, I was not only taking care of smaller children, but I was letting myself into my home and cooking meals and getting everything ready for my mom to come home at night. I can't even see him crossing the street alone. <laughs> He's just not capable. <laughs> and I told my sister that I said, what am I raising? Like these kids don't know how to do anything. Uh, they don't know how to like cook and clean and do all this. And she said, thank God, thank God that you've been able to, 
give them a better life. Thank God that they don't have mm-hmm. to take care of small children and that they mm-hmm. don't have to worry about things we worried about. I said, oh, you're right. Thank God. Yeah. <sighs> this has been so therapeutic. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. It's so fun. It's really, really fun. I'm so glad you were keen to participate. And Yes, I really enjoyed it. So really. full of enthusiasm. You just, you brought back so many memories from JFK to like, wow, it's just such a wild time. Thank you, Diana. Thank you so much, Anna. Take care. Thanks. Diana's profession is not a neutral profession. It dictates what we see from the brands we interact with every day. If a creative director is responsible for signing off on the way a model's hair or eyebrows look, there's a lot of room for unconscious bias to slip into that decision-making process. This really speaks to a need for diversity in creative direction, to make sure that, as Diana said, consumers see themselves in the brands they shop from, not just because it's a better business model, which it is, but because, as she also said, it's the right thing to do. Diana's career spans the so-called end of print, but she's also working in an era when digital outlets are shedding jobs. Above all, she says, brands need to be flexible and quick to shift to this new reality in which we live and work. There's probably a lesson in there for us all. Thanks for joining me and my guest. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review or share on social media. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Teen People Pod. Until next time, I'm Anna Soper.